This is a GRDC podcast. You know, there's a law in this universe. It's the law of unintended consequences, when a deliberate action can have unexpected results. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. On this podcast, we'll delve into the tiny world of aphids to test a theory that modern wheat varieties are creating greater aphid populations because they stay greener longer. Recently, I visited entomologist Melina Miles from Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries at Toowoomba, and she invited me to take a look at a greenhouse pot trial that was just getting underway. So this is a, uh, a pot trial in which we have 13 varieties of wheat, from quite old varieties through to very recent varieties, and we're interested in whether the relationship between aphids and wheat has changed over time. So my interest in this has come about, as I've seen over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, aphids persisting much longer in wheat. Uh, Well, occurring in wheat more frequently. Previously, aphids we sort of thought about as a problem in barley, not wheat. But over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, I think that I've started to see more aphids in wheat and then persisting much longer. So, you know, there used to be a rule of thumb that said aphids would, you know, depart the crop or die out as it became reproductive. As soon as a head was out of the boot, that you'd, you'd rarely see aphids. And we're starting to see aphids persisting much longer than we ever did before. OK, so what do you think might be the cause of that? There are a few things that I think might be playing into it. One is, and probably the one that we're exploring here, is whether there are some traits in the varieties that have been selected which are favouring aphid persistence. Accidentally, of course. Yeah, that's right. So a side effect of uh, selecting for something that contributes to yield. And I know, I guess from speaking to the breeders, that they're not selecting specifically for stay green traits in wheat. But wheat varieties that stay green for longer are naturally higher yielding. So I just wonder whether it is that persistent greenness of the crop as opposed to what would have been sort of relatively early senescence that is allowing the aphids to survive, that the plant stays suitable for them for longer. And is this the first time you've done this pot trial? It is the first time we've done a variety pot trial. We've done a number of trials with aphids attempting to look at exactly when in, in the crop growth they cause damage or an impact on yield and those trials by and large have been unsuccessful because it doesn't seem to matter when we put the aphids on if we put them on early for a period of time and then off for the later period we get high yield if we put them on late but not early we get high yield so you know there's clearly a compensation capacity to whatever it is that the aphids are doing to a a winter cereal plant that we haven't been able to pin down at this point. Okay, so just explain what you're doing now in terms of how you'll conduct the pot trial. So we're going to do this in two stages. The first, so these plants here are probably about three, four true leaves at this point. Very shortly we'll be putting the oat aphid on and we'll be looking at the reproductive potential of the aphid on each of these varieties. So each, each variety is replicated 25 times, so we get to have a good look from plant to plant how much variation there is. And what that will tell us is something about the suitability for reproduction, which is obviously linked to both survival and population build-up in the field. Suitability in what way? How quickly and how persistently a female is able to produce young. Okay, on the different varieties. That's what you're measuring in that first instance. Yes, that's right. How many young a female can produce on each of the different varieties. Okay, where does it go from there? So then we'll let the plants grow on and we get to, you know, where we switch from vegetative to reproductive. So when the plants are starting to put the heads up, we'll repeat that 
and the reason for doing it at that stage is you know that's the stage where we used to see aphids decline naturally in the field the reason for that's not exactly clear whether it was that the plant became physiologically unsuitable you know much less attractive or suitable for the aphids to persist or whether it's because you know there are more natural enemies or so on but we're going with the the first option which is that generally in the past plants have become less suitable for the aphids to both reproduce and survive and so we're going to test this hypothesis. At that stage what are you expecting to see? Well what I'm hoping to see which would be consistent with my kind of feeling about this is that the new varieties will be more suitable for aphids for a longer period of time so we'll see them perhaps both result in higher levels of fecundity and survival by the aphids at this early stage and then also at that later sort of head emergence and grain filling stage. Why is this important? Because as you say, there are other pests out there that perhaps do more damage than aphids. The more we can understand about the susceptibility of different varieties to an aphid infestation, the better place we are to be much more discriminating in those decisions. And how would you manage it? I mean, what would you do if your theory was proved? What would happen then? Well, I think, you know, one of the really important things about insect management is assessing risk. So, you know, if if we find that there are very large differences between varieties in terms of their suitability for aphids and the likelihood that aphids will build up to quite large populations in them, then it, it really just gives you a heads up on this is something that you need to be looking for. If it turns out that they were equally susceptible early and late, then, you know, perhaps aphids are something that you look for earlier than you might otherwise. So from my point of view, if if nothing else, it gives us a bit of a heads up on whether there are some varietal differences in the susceptibility and the need to check those particular crops for aphids as the season progresses. Okay. Now, I'm fascinated by your work here, and you tell me that preparations are underway now to put these tiny, tiny, tiny little aphids onto these hundreds of wheat plants. Who does it and how do they do it? Well, I'm fortunate to work with a really terrific team of technical staff who, um, you know, put all this into action. So, you know, we have these these theories that we want to test and they take up the challenge with relish to find a way to do it. So we can go over to the labs now, if you like, and we can have a look where they're making, you know, 320 tiny cages to enclose these aphids on so that we can get started with this trial. But, you know, that's one of the real challenges with insect work is that you need a lot of replication to have some confidence in the outcome and often it's really fiddly work. I really would love to go to the lab. I I really want to see an aphid cage. Oh, well, just wait. Okay, let's go. (laughs) So, Melina's run a million miles an hour to her office. So we're here with Trevor Volp, uh, who's a technical officer here at, at Queensland DAF, here at Toowoomba. And Trevor's going to show us how he builds the cages for aphids. So tell me about it. What do you actually do? So what we have to do is to confine the aphids onto the wheat plants, construct these little custom-built cages to keep everything on there. Get us one of those complete cages over there. They're actually not as quite as small as I thought they might be for an aphid. Now, just explain what you've done there. So basically what we've got is different bits of plastic that have been laser cut and we glue everything together and so we've got 
basically a modified hair clip that goes into a cylindrical bit of plastic where we place gauze over one side of it, and that's a container in which the aphids will be housed. It's about 25 mil across, I suppose. Yeah, uh, about that big. It just clips onto a leaf like that. So on that one side, you've basically got the flat leaf which the aphids are going to be surviving and reproducing on and they have that space in the cage and then the other side you have the other side of the hair clip and that's connected to another bit of plastic so that just holds everything in place so you've got to build what over 300 of these things 320 of them yeah (laughs) fiddly work yeah well it's the good thing about the job is you're doing different things all the time so you've got to do the grunt work first yeah exactly yeah you don't get all the glamour straight away (laughs) Yeah, doing the hard yards. Trevor Volpe, a young technical officer working with Melina Miles' entomology team at the Toowoomba facility of Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries. You know, come to think of it, I still didn't find out how they pick up a single aphid. The tweezers must be tiny. Oh, well, maybe next time. Thanks for listening to this GRDC podcast. I'm Chris Brown. Chris Brown.